Hey friends, Pastor Andrew here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in on our sermons here at Asheville First Church of the Nazarene. We post these even though they were preached in a specific time at a specific place to a certain community of people, hoping that God still might use them to speak to you wherever you are. Lord, we uh, are so thankful that your grace is truly amazing in our lives. Your love is truly unending. And so now we stop, Lord, and, and we do ask and pray that the walls, if there are any walls around our heart, that they might come down in these moments and that we might allow your grace to infiltrate our lives and that we would be receptive to your word this morning. Lord, my words are not enough. My thoughts are not enough. But by the workings and the power of your Holy Spirit, may they now become for us the music and the power of the gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20. Continuing our time in the gospel of Mark, we're not going to look at every verse or even every chapter. You'll notice we're jumping over to Mark chapter 4, kind of keeping pace uh, with the, the church calendar. So we, we end up um, with Jesus and the crucifixion, the resurrection come Easter time. But it'll be, it's a good time so far in the gospel of Mark, and we're going to hit uh, most of the gospel uh, this, this morning we are looking at one of Christ's most famous parables. I'm going to be talking about what, what is even a parable for us this morning. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he began to teach them many things in parables. In his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell upon the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Another seed fell on rocky ground. It sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, and it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Another seed fell into good soil. And brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. When he was alone, those who were gathered around him along with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything comes in parables. In order that, they may indeed look but not perceive, and may indeed listen but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root, and they endure only for a while. 
Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty and sixty and a hundred fold. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think we might join the disciples and ask Jesus, Jesus, why do you talk in so many parables? Why don't you just shoot it to us straight, Jesus? Just give us what you want us to hear. If you could put it in one, two, three bullet points, that'd be great. And if it all started with the same letter, all alliteration, that'd be even better, right? Jesus, just give it to us straight. Why do you speak and parables. It's, it's an honest question. I think it's an honest question that we're going to grapple with this morning. Why Jesus spoke in parables. Um, you know, because there was, as we see in this text, there was some hiddenness in the message. There was some mystery to the message. And, you know, there, there's not too many people that come up to me after a Sunday morning and say, great sermon, pastor. I didn't really understand it. <laughs> right? Hey, you've never said that, have you? No. Hey, great job, Pastor. I don't think anybody, it went over our head just, you know, but great job. Sounded great, you know. And that's what the, kind of, the, so I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get us to understand the disciples here. They're, they're coming to him and saying, Jesus, come on. Why all these parables? What's going on here? And all the gospels agree I, they, throughout all the gospels. Yeah, Jesus sometimes did say it pretty straightforwardly, but a lot of Jesus' teaching was in parables. Uh, a lot of Jesus' teaching was, what is he saying? Is that what? You know, in, J- in Gospel of John, he talks about, if you don't eat of my body and drink of my blood, uh, you know, you have no salvation. And the people are saying, what is he saying, right? And, and so we have to grapple with this question of why is Jesus speaking in parables? And what does it mean for us even this morning? Uh, what, what is a parable? Because we don't re- really use parables too much anymore, at least in, in dialogue like this, right? Uh, I would probably not have lasted here four years if I got up and spoke in parables. Uh, if I said, okay, that's great, Pastor, that's good, but we, we need somebody else, right? You know, it, it doesn't go well in our culture anymore. Um, we're, we're not really patient enough in, uh, to go through uh, parables too much. But what is a parable? A parable, it's not exactly a riddle, you know, it's not a riddle per se. A parable is something that is derived from common life. Uh, it, it, it uses kind of common illustrations that everyone understands, whether it be seeds, whether it be lost money, whether it be sheep, and these are concepts that definitely back then they all would have understood. Not too many of us are raising sheep uh, right now in, in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, but it would have used these common images and yet, there would have been something about it that either jumped out at you or didn't make sense, right? Uh, let's take, for instance, we're not preaching on this one, but, you know, you, you leave the 99 to find the one. No, you don't. 
You don't leave 99 sheep by themselves just to rescue one. That's, that's the weirdness of the story. That's the part that jumps out at you. That doesn't make quite sense, right? So there's all, the, the definition of a parable means there's something not quite right there. And that not quite rightness, that, that weirdness, that's what pulls you into the illustration. That's what pulls you in and asks of you to do some work with it. There, there's some mystery, there's, there's something that doesn't quite make sense in parables that draws us in and asks us to wrestle with it. And I know that's not a popular conception today, uh, that we have to wrestle with something, that we have to put in some work uh, to figure it out. Uh, but during Jesus' day and uh, thousands of years ago, this was a common way of talking uh, both Greeks and Greek philosophy, Socrates and different things, used parables like this. And he, uh, also Jews and rabbis would use parables like this. But that isn't to say that obviously we see some frustration with it, uh, both then and now, uh, because at certain points when the disciples are following Jesus and say, hey, you're the Messiah. You're the ones with the secrets and the, the mystery of the kingdom of God. You are the one bringing the kingdom of God, so tell it. We, we want it. And yet, we're just hearing parables, and we want a little more, Jesus. And I think some of us can resonate with that. So why? Let, let, let's get to the point of, before we even get to the parable itself, why is Jesus talking in parables? One of the reasons uh, that Jesus is talking in parables is because they are so effective, right? So effective. Um, you know, when we spell things out, it, it just doesn't stick as well, right? If I, if, I, if I gave you one, two, three points, none of you, three days from now, would be able to give me all th three of those points unless you wrote them down somewhere, right? But if I told you a story, right? does anybody remember the story I told last week? Yeah, birthday party, prostitutes. I've had a number of people comment on that story, right? The story sticks with you. You're going to remember the story. You're probably not going to remember the title of my sermon, right? Stories require something of us. They draw us in. This is why we go to movies. This is why we read books. They draw us in. And the more work that a story asks of us, the more it really sticks with us. One of the things my dad did very well raising us um, he, I remember that we went through a time period where he'd got, his, uh, I forget the exact title of it, it was the Book of Family, Family Book of Virtues or something. It's kind of a popular book, but we would read it after dinner. And really, it, it didn't go through and list the virtues, like you need to be patient and different things. It was all kind of the folklore tales uh, that illustrated it. Like, um, let's see, you know, the, the boy who pulled the yarn ball because he wanted to speed up time that he had no more yarn left. Uh, what's the one? It's the Greek one where he flies too close to the... I, I learned a lot of those stories and I still remember some of those and the lessons that if he would have just been listing the ones as a boy, pff, I would have been daydreaming like some of us are doing now because pastor's rattling on, right? Uh, and so uh, stories stick with us. The parables draw us in the demand work. This is why for 2,000 years since Christ has ascended, we are still talking about and debating and looking into these parables. And there's always a fresh interpretation. There's always an application during different cultures, different time periods. It draws us in. There's a power 
in the parables that we shouldn't take for granted. So that's why Jesus uses them. But secondly, and Jesus, this is what Jesus references here, um, there's perhaps maybe a little bit more pro- uh, problematic reason why Jesus is using them, at least on the, the surface. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples, when they bring it up to him, why, why are you using these parables? Jesus says, hey, to you has been, and I, some of our translations translate it the secret of the kingdom of God. I don't like that translation. It's more the mystery of the kingdom of God. Uh, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. And uh, so already Jesus is saying there is mystery to it, right? Um, and we're going to get to that. Don't, don't. Sometimes we preachers and, and we in the faith, we try to take the mystery out of everything. There's, there's mystery to faith. There, there's mystery to God's presence in our lives. Don't, don't take all that away. Uh, that's what Jesus is doing in the parables. He's not taking it all away. He's not giving us the ABCs. And sometimes we try to do that too much. Uh, this, this life and faith and grace, there, there's, there's some mystery to it. And if you're not okay with any mystery, you're going to struggle in faith. I, I'm here to tell you. So Jesus says, to you have, has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. I, I, am, I am showing you, and they are still not getting it, right? Um, but here he, he gets to the point, and, and some of us aren't going to like this, but he quotes a passage of Isaiah, and he says he's using the parables so that some may look but not perceive, that some may listen but not understand, so that they may not turn and be forgiven. Ooh, I don't know if I like that, Jesus. Because we're, I, I'm, this church, our denominator, we're Wesleyan. And what we believe is that God wants all people, everyone, to repent and be saved. God wants everyone to be forgiven. God wants everyone to come to the kingdom of God and have eternal life. That's what we believe, that God wants that. And so on the surface, this sounds like that's contradicting that, that might, maybe God doesn't want everybody to turn and believe, right? And so he's using parables to keep some out. Oh, I don't know if I like that. And yet, if we look a little deeper and understand what is really going on, I, I think Jesus' statement here gets to all the big questions. It really gets to the very question of faith, and it gets to the, the question of life itself and what we're doing here, right? Um, and the reality is, is what Jesus is expressing here is not that some, he's doing it so that some chosen few are cast aside never to find out. What he's doing here is giving us the option of saying no. You see, what, what I believe, um, just hang with me here for a second, because we this is, a, this is a big deal that gets to the very heart of faith. I believe that there's a love in God. I, I believe that on faith. I can't prove it to you like I can prove two plus two is. I just believe there's a loving God. I believe that God created us and that the reason a loving God creates is to be in some form of relationship with us, right? Uh, if, if you can't get on board with that, then, I mean, we're just going to go our separate ways faith-wise, so I just believe there's a loving God that created us and wants to have some sort of relationship with us. I can't prove to you what that relationship looks like, but some sort of relationship with us. That's why he created us. I really see the faith and life itself through the lens of relationships. It's all about love and relationships. If you want to know what my preaching is all about and what I see in Scripture, that God created us out of love and that we are created to have a relationship with him, 
with our neighbors, with creation itself, right? But in order to have a relationship, there has to be an option not to be in the relationship, right? To have a loving relationship, there has to be the ability to say, no, I don't want to be with you. I don't want to be in a relationship with you. Otherwise, it's not a real relationship, is it? Tomorrow, she's not in here, so she can't correct the story. I can say whatever I want now. Uh, although she might be listening on the speaker. So, Judy, if you hear any shouts from the nursery, uh, let me know. But tomorrow is uh, Rebecca and I's 10th anniversary of the first day we met each other. Uh, 10 years ago tomorrow, I first met Rebecca, my wife. And we know that because... Uh, so concretely, not just because I wrote home in my journal, but she came into the homeless agency I was working at on Martin Luther King Day to volunteer. Um, you know, as is custom, uh, Martin Luther King Day is a great day to volunteer and to serve others uh, when we have the day off. And that's what Rebecca was doing. Uh, she came in to our foot clinic uh, to serve and, and uh, help the feed of the homeless. And, and as we did there, and so she came in and I, I, I didn't, and you, most of you know the story. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but you know, I kind of went in just to check things out. I help with the foot clinic every once in a while, but it wasn't my sole job. And I just thought, oh, that's a cute girl in there. And so, uh, you know, I kind of had an extra reason to go in and got to know her a little bit. And um, long story short, you know, she wasn't too impressed, Ray. She was not. Uh, mainly because uh, I was younger than her, I was about five years younger than her. And, you know, she was, not, she was not interested in a younger man at all. Uh, and I could tell, I, I think she didn't find out that first day, but like the next time she came back, she realized it. I, all this is that I had to put in a lot of work uh, to overcome that age barrier, to overcome that age gap. And in fact, I, I did some, uh, I did research. I read her blog. I started reading people that she was reading. Uh, at one point, I actually kind of told a few fibs. Uh, I'll, I'll confess that. At one point, she, uh, our, our, we were flying back into Nashville the same day, and, and, uh, but my flight was earlier, but we were both connecting in Chicago. This is kind of a funny story. I'll, I'll get to the point here in a second. Um, I, we were both connecting in Chicago, and I said, uh, oh, I, I'm flying in that same day too. And I said, hey, what time's your flight getting in? And she said, oh, about 6.30 in Chicago and then waiting on the layover. And uh, oh, I said, oh, oh, that's funny. Mine is too. And it wasn't. Mine was earlier that day, but I called the airline and got it changed so that we would overlap in Chicago, right? <laughs> and uh, I mean, I had to put in some work. You know, the real funny thing is, is I got, this is a true story. I got off the plane in Chicago. I said, hey, what gate number are you at? And she said, D4. I said, great. I'll be there in a few minutes. I can't wait to see you. And uh, so I'm going, going, going. I'm like, there's no D4 here. Do you know there's two major airports in Chicago? <laughs> she was at the other one. <laughs> I got an A for effort, right? And you know what? She, she only found out like four months later that I had contrived that whole thing. Like, you know, we were solidly dating and committed to one another until I told her my flight was not getting in the right time. I'm really proud of our story uh, of, I'm really proud of how much work I had to put in. I'm, I'm even proud of those fibs that I had to work around and orchestrate the whole thing. Why? Because she could have said no, and she said no a few times. I mean, you know, it's just like she didn't want to date me. 
Um, it's special to me because it might not have happened. In fact, just this week, I, I told her, I said, boy, what if you didn't come volunteer that day? None of this, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have our child. None of this would be here. It's precious because we both chose it. We both said yes. That's what love really is. Love is never, I'm forced to be here. Love is never, I had no other option. So hang with me here. For us to be in a loving relationship with God, God can't just show up and say, hey, I'm the God, I created you, you gotta love me. Right? This gets to the question of faith. Because sometimes we think, why doesn't God just write it in the sky? Why doesn't God just, just write in the sky, I'm God, I'm real, I'm here, do as I say? Or, you know, even if God just said, write in the sky, love me, or else, right? What option would that be? Would that be love? If I showed up to Rebecca on that day and said, hey, you got no choice in the matter, you're going to love and marry me. Think that would have worked out well for me? No, right? This gets to the, the mystery of life itself. Why aren't we born with a, a manual when we come out? Why aren't we born with all the answers? Because there would be no freedom. There would be no choice in the matter. Even if God came down in God's glory, think about the difference between us and God. If God came down in all of God's glory and said, here I am, that glory and that majesty and that power would be so overwhelming, we would have no choice in the matter. No choice. So here's the point. God comes to us not in huge power. He comes to us in the form of a poor carpenter. No name from the wrong side of town. And he comes speaking in parables. Why? Not to keep certain bad people out. Not at all. Look what we just saw last week. He's calling all the wrong people. He comes in a very humble form, speaking in parables, so that we might have a choice. God does want everyone to repent and be forgiven. God wants everybody to come into the kingdom, but God doesn't want anybody to be forced. And so he speaks in parables so that people might have a choice. Not that they have to be kept out, but you have a choice to be kept out. That those who don't really want it, those who aren't willing to put in the work and to stay and to think and do the work, they're going to look, but they're not going to perceive. They're going to hear, but they're not going to understand. And so for those who do look and perceive, those who listen and understand, those who put in the work, oh, then it's going to be like my story with Rebecca and just be like, oh, they cherished it, loved it. It's true love and relationship, right? And I know in our culture, we, don't, we want it easy. We, we want it just spoon-fed to us, Right? But you know what easy things are? They're cheap, and they're easily cast aside. So Jesus speaks in parables here, and what he's telling the disciples gets to the very heart of faith itself so that we might have a choice in the matter, that we might have to choose him, to follow him. And this parable Jesus references is kind of the foundation of the parables because it gets to the point of that, Right? It illustrates this, and that's why Jesus says, hey, if you don't understand this parable, how are you gonna understand all the others? Jesus is a little frustrated with the disciples, rightly so, because what we're gonna see in Mark and the rest of the Gospels is the disciples, even to the ones that given the mystery, they had to put a lot of work in, and often they didn't really get it. 
So let's go to the parable quickly here, because Jesus helps us understand it in a, in a better way. First, we see that there, uh, it's an agricultural parable. We, we hear the metaphors of the seed and the crop. And, and for many of us and those uh, that are, know the Old Testament, even we were preaching on just a couple, I guess maybe a month or two ago, this is a very common illustration in Scripture, that of crops. And so Jesus is talking about the crops of righteousness, the crops of the kingdom of God. And a seed is a very good parable because it speaks to the beginning of the kingdom of God that's yet not to its fullest, right? A seed is a real part of a plant, right? Uh, if you have the seed, a tomato seed, it's part of the tomato plant. It's the real thing, but it's not the full thing. And so what we believe here, Jesus is talking about, he is the sower of the seed. He has come to bring a new era for the kingdom of God, and he is the sower of the seed spreading the good word of the gospel, right? But they're seeds. They're not the full thing yet. That's why people easily overlook seeds. You may not even see it. So Jesus is the sower of the seed. He is spreading the word of the kingdom of God, hoping that it bears fruit. The seed is the beginning. Yeah, there's a day where it's going to be to its fullest, and it's going to be harvested. That's the fullness of the kingdom of God that we're still waiting on. We're in this in-between time where the seeds have been planted and they're growing, hopefully in our lives and our hearts. But we're not yet to the fullness of the kingdom of God. We will still suffer and die. Right? That's what the beauty of this parable already speaks to. See how much there is in this parables? I could go on for another hour, but I won't. Just in this one little story, even though that Jesus even gives us the meaning, there's so much there. So Jesus comes and he's the sower of the seed. He, he's spreading the seed of the kingdom of God. And yet some of the seed falls on bad places. In fact, this is the other, we, this is the really kind of the weird thing that jumps out about this parable. It's not so straightforward. If you're a farmer, if you're, and I know there's different ways to seed, but this farmer is pretty wasteful with the seed, right? I mean, I, I have a garden. I, I have a little four by eight garden that I'm, proud is still producing. I have a cover over it and different things like that. Boy, you know, I knew where I planted every little seed. I didn't go in the driveway and just throw the seed around. Oh, that's a horrible gardener. That's a horrible farmer. But yet this is, this is what's weird about the sower. The sower is taking the seed and he's casting it everywhere. He just willy-nilly, he's generous with the seed. It's for everybody, good, bad, and ugly. Right? He's just throwing the seed. He's generous with the seed. That's God's grace. That's awesome. Throwing the seed out. But yet this gets to the point. We're not the sower. We're not the seed. We're the soil. And the question immediately comes, what type of soil are we? And Jesus goes through common forms of soil and their reception of the word. We see at first it falls on the path and the birds eat it up. And that's the work of evil separating those stealing the word. And here we should see in our lives, not that we need to think that the devil's powerful enough to take us away from God or anything like that, but Mark sees evil's opposition to the work of Jesus in the world, right? Uh, we see that in the, uh, the demoniacs that he exercises and different things. He sees evil's opposition to Jesus. And so some people, the word doesn't take in their lives because the forces of evil are working, tempting them away from it, right? That's how we, we can see that happen. People get tempted away from the word all the time. And then some of the seed, it, it falls on the rocky soil. And it, again, I, you know, hopefully you know the soil before you 
cast your seed there, but Jesus sows it anyway. And it falls on the rocky soil. And boy, it shoots up real quick. This is awesome. You know, we love Jesus. We love the kingdom of God. We're going to devote our lives and talk a big game. But yet, hard times come. The power of the sun comes. And drought happens. Difficult times happen. How, how accurate is this parable? Even for us today, 2,000 years ago, this is the power of a parable. It still applies for us today. How many times do we respond to the word excited, God's grace and goodness, and yet hard times fall on us? Um, how, whether it be a sickness, whether it be a drought financially, and we just fall away. We don't see the need for it. We're not ready to persevere. And so what happens to that? The plant dies. The kingdom doesn't take root in that person. And they fall away. Next, the, you know, the sower just keeps on sowing. And the, and the seed that fell on uh, maybe good soil, but there's a lot going on there. There was thorns and weeds and bushes and different things going on. And, and the seed might come up, but then it gets choked out by other cares and concerns or temptations in this life. Again, how accurate is this? How many times do people get excited about the kingdom of God and want to pursue, or, or even in their 10th year following Christ, and yet, you know, big promotion at work. They don't have time to invest. I don't have time to go to church, Pastor. I don't have time to serve. I don't have time. The concerns and the attractions and the distractions of this world are constantly fighting for our attention, our time, and our passion. And so, the kingdom of God, the salvation in their life gets choked out. But finally, one out of the four is the good soil. And the good soil, it takes and it just, oh, it just takes off. It has an abundant harvest. It makes up for all the other four soils. It's a beautiful time. It's rich soil. It's good soil. And it gives the crop. Again, just a reminder, we, I preached on this about a month ago, the crop is of righteousness. It's the crop of holy life. It's a crop of living out the kingdom of God. Jesus plants the seed of the kingdom of God and it flourishes in our life. You can see its evidence in our life. That's the crop of righteousness in the kingdom of salvation in our lives. It changes us. It transforms us. And so as a parable does, it draws us in. It doesn't ask you if you're the sower. Ask you what type of soil you are. What type of soil do you want to be? Here's one of the questions that bugs me about it. Do the other soil, the soils where it doesn't work out, do they know they're the bad soil? Or do they think they're just doing fine? You know, when you're watching a movie, when you're reading a story, you can always see it clearly, right? You can always see it. But I wonder if the soil that gets choked out by the attractions of their world, the world and different distractions, I wonder if they're thinking, oh, I'm doing fine. And yet there's no crop of righteousness in their lives. The question comes to us, which soil are we? And here's what I want to say to this. It's not predetermined which soil we are. It's another thing we believe. That we all have free will. We all get to choose and say yes to God if it so desires. I'm here to tell you, you can choose which soil you are. But it, it's, it's a hard question. 
Which soil am I? I'm here to say that it's a hard question because it takes commitment. It takes intentionality that you have to want it above all else. That really is not only the point of this parable, I believe. Again, I'm trying to distill it down for us. I shouldn't do that. But I believe it speaks to us about a clarity of a decision and commitment to follow Christ to accept the word, the good word in our lives and to live it in its fullness no matter what. And this is the foundational parable because it also speaks to the reason that Jesus speaks in parables. Because unless you really want it, unless you're willing to put in the work, unless you're willing to stick with it and grapple with it and wrestle with it, what this looks like in my life, then you're gonna look and not understand. You're gonna hear and not perceive, right? Am I making a little bit of sense? I don't want to make all the sense in the world. I want you to have to do some of the thinking. And so I think this parable calls to us and says, you're not going to last. You're not going to be able to produce the crop that God wants from us, the crop of righteousness in a holy life. You're not going to be able to see salvation to the very end if it's not the one thing that you truly want. If this isn't the clarity of your will in your heart and your life, then I'm telling you, either the hardships of life, and they're going to come. Christ is clear. There's going to be hardships in a Christian life. Either the hardships are going to wither you down, or you're just going to get distracted, and you're going to pursue other things in your life. And none of those are options to produce the crop of righteousness in our lives. So what do you want? I think that's just Jesus comes to ask us and speaks this parable to you. If you really want the one thing, if you want to live in the kingdom of God forever and ever, if you want God's will for your life, the good news is it's able. See, the good news is there's no problem with the seed. The seed's good. The, the issue is the conditions of our heart and our life. God's over, able to overcome all the barriers. There's, there's not an issue about God's grace or salvation. We don't have to be scared whether these things are too big for us. We just have to clear out the space in our lives and our hearts to prepare ourselves to receive the word. Then it's not our work. It's God's work in us. The seed takes root in this. What does the soil do? It, just, it, it receives the seed. And the plant and the seed does the work. God does the work in us if we will just clear out the space. So let me ask you this morning. What do you want? And will you seek the kingdom of God above all else? Will you follow Christ through thick and thin? And even when distractions and attractions come, will you stay on the path? If you will, if you really want it, God's grace is enough. And in your life, you will see a change and a transformation that will astound you and everyone around you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we're grateful uh, that you come into the world out of love and that you invite us into a loving relationship with you. That you give us choice. You give us free will. And Lord, I... I pray that we might respond to you in these moments, not out of I have to or forced or guilt, 
but it's because of what we want. So Lord, may we see you clearly in these moments as we respond to your word. May this time of communion, may this time of prayer, may we hear your voice speaking to us, calling us. And might we take stock about the quality of the soil in our hearts and in our lives. And if we need to, may we do some pruning and some rooting and some tilling to make sure the soil is good in our lives to receive your grace and your word for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As our servers come down, we just take this time to respond to what God might be saying to us. We take this time to pray, to seek God's will for our lives, to hear his voice speak to us, but we also take this time to take a time of communion. And we take this time of communion out of remembrance of what Christ has done for us. That I'm not here to say that you should want a relationship with God, that you should, uh, that you should prepare yourself to receive God's word and salvation in your life just because I tell you you should. But because God loves you. And that God, if you think changing a flight was a big deal, God has done everything to show and to prove and to enact that love in your life. That God would even suffer and be betrayed and tortured and go to the cross out of love for us to bring us back to him. And so as we take communion, we remember that. We come and we receive Christ's love. And everyone's welcome to come receive the bread and the cup, emblems of Christ's broken body and shed blood. But all that we ask is that if you come, that you are making the decision to follow Christ, to accept his word in your life above all else, that you are coming as a signal to say, this is the one thing I want. And not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but for the rest of my life, this will be the one thing I want to see God's salvation, his righteousness grow in my life, to be with God forever. And if you'll make that decision, come and receive the grace and the love of Christ represented at his table. Come receive the seed that will transform you. On the night our Lord is betrayed, after giving thanks, he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. I invite you to take this time as a time of prayer as well. You can pray at an altar about anything God has laid on your heart. If you'd like to pray with me, I'd be happy to pray with you. If you'd like to be anointed on behalf of yourself or a loved one, we can do that as well. But let us take this time to respond. What type of soil are we? What do you want? If you want God's grace and love, it is yours. Come when you're ready and receive. Church family, would you stand with me? The good news is the sower has come and he has spread 
the seed. May you be the good soil. May you receive the good news of the kingdom of God and of Jesus Christ into your life. And may you produce an abundant crop. And may people see it, recognize it, and want to know more about it. Thanks for listening in today. I hope God continues to speak to you in the days to come and that you find whatever is the next step for you in your life. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website at ashnaz.org or feel free to stop by the church anytime. We'd love to see you. God bless.